0: As they go out, let me tell you what we're doing today. So we are finishing up just a very, very short series that we started last week called Walk and Talk. And it's just two weeks. It's two weeks where we want our simple, simple goal is this. It's just helping you as parents lead your kids to follow Jesus and have a thriving relationship with God. Now, maybe you're not a parent Um, Maybe you're not a parent yet, and one day you will be, and this will be useful information. Um, Maybe you serve in kids' ministry in in our church. A lot of you serve in in Kids at Cane Bay, and, and this will equip you more for that. Maybe your kids are grown, and maybe you've got grandkids coming, or maybe you're not in any of those categories, and I pray that this would be useful information because I think it's universal tools and principles for discipling, investing in anyone else's whether it's your kids or your neighbor or your spouse or anyone else. So I, I pray that these tools would be useful to you. So real quickly, a disclaimer, if you went through the five-week parenting class that my wife and I taught several weeks ago during a quip, a lot of what I'm talking about is we did on the last week of that class. So if you were in there, you can put your earbuds in now. You don't have to listen anymore. Just kidding. So uh, there will be some repeat information to that. But here's, here's what I want to start out with saying. Um, as a dad of, of four kids, I, I realize something that my kids will not have a thriving relationship with God just because I take them to church. It's just not going to happen. They don't get it by osmosis or exposure. They they don't even get it from just growing up in a Christian home. Stats say today that as many as 70% of church-attending teenagers will walk away from the church of their parents as they walk through college and single adulthood. That's scary to me. But I think it should convict us of something. They're not just getting it by osmosis. They're not just getting it because we took them to church. They're watching us, and what they see in us matters about how they see God and how they see their own faith. So today, we're going to talk about how we can help our kids walk and talk with God. But here's what I want you to get. We started this last week. Their walking and talking with God is dependent on how they walk and talk with us As we walk and talk with God as their parents. Does that make sense? So today, we're going to get real practical. Um, If you've got something to take notes or your phone, you can go to events on the YouVersion app, on the Bible app. And you can search for Church at Cane Bay and you can find the notes there. And you can take some notes as we go. So you've probably heard people say this. Maybe you've even said something like this yourself. Maybe you've heard people say, you know, I don't want to force my kids to believe and value certain things. I I want them to figure it out on their own. I want them to choose their own path, come to their own spiritual conclusions. I don't want to bias or manipulate them. Now, that sounds very American. I mean, that sounds very postmodern. It sounds very free. It It sounds so politically correct and individualistic, so logical. But the problem is this. There is no such thing as an objective environment when it comes to beliefs and values. Your kids, every moment of every day, are influenced by someone or something. They are being influenced by someone or something. You need to be in that mix, and I need to be in that mix. There is no such thing as an objective, value-free environment when your kid watches a 30-minute TV program when they watch something on Netflix, when they're around other kids, when they spend eight hours a day at school, when they're on social media. They're being influenced by beliefs and values of other people. There is no such thing as an objective, value-free, belief-free environment. The question is this, whose values and beliefs and what values and beliefs are they going to adopt and live by? Now, here's the interesting thing. The, The Bible never suggests... The Bible never suggests that you force your kid to believe or value anything. And I'm not suggesting that either. It does have to be their choice. The Bible never says that you mechanically or legalistically enforce the principles of the Bible. Please don't do that because it will produce rebellion and resentment. They will run from that. But the Bible does say that I have the responsibility and you have the responsibility as leaders, as parents, for teaching Modeling and pointing your children to the truth, because let me be honest, there is truth in a world that says it's up to you. I believe that God has given us absolute truth, and it's our job to point them in that direction. Or we opt out, we forfeit, and let them wander around trying to figure out what truth really is. And I don't think that's a good option. In the end, I am responsible for the spiritual direction of my children. God has given me that as their dad and to my wife as their mom. We are their spiritual leaders and their guides, and we cannot delegate it to anyone else. Not their children's ministry leader, not the church, not our pastor. I am the spiritual guide for my kids that's scary. Because I am so imperfect. And so are you. And I know it. And that's why we're talking about this today. So what is our spiritual responsibility? Here's the question we're going to answer today. What is your spiritual responsibility as a parent of kids? So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is one of the best passages that I can think of when it comes to our responsibility as leaders of our children it's it's a really classic passage in the old testament that jewish families would have recited together they would have known this passage it was very common in deuteronomy chapter 6 a very famous passage of scripture but before we read it let me just tell you what deuteronomy is all about so it's part of the first 5 books of the bible and Deuteronomy literally means second law so so what was happening is this is that you remember the story of Moses leading the Hebrew people out of Egypt across the Red Sea Chris mentioned that earlier and to the toward the promised land but what you if you know the story you remember that when he led them out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea they began to rebel against God they begin to forget what God had done and they wandered around Desert, kind of wishing they could just go back to slavery. It's interesting their story. Um, they they wander around in the desert for more than for for forty years before they ever get to the land that God had promised them. Now, here's the interesting thing: forty years is a long time. Like that's a very long time. What what had happened is this: is the same people. So uh, many of the people who had left Egypt, many of the grandparents or even parents when they left had died, they had passed on. And, and the interesting thing is that the kids, a lot of the kids weren't even born yet when they left Egypt and the ones who were born are now 40 years old and have kids of their own. And what's happening as they've been wandering around in the desert is that kids have grown up and had their own kids and they have forgotten who God is and what God has done and what God says. And so Moses comes to the people and God speaks through Moses and gives them a second telling of the law. He tells them a second time what's important, what God says, God's desires for their life. And Moses says there's a new generation that has grown up that needs to understand who God is and what God says. And so that's where we find ourselves because here's the deal. Why had they forgotten? Why had there been a generation to rise up that had forgotten who God is and what God has done? I believe that it's this. It's because their parents forgot to show them and tell them. Their parents forgot to show them and tell them. And kids grew up and went astray because their parents didn't model and teach who God is and what God has done. Alright, so Deuteronomy chapter 6, look at verse 5. It says this. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now that sounds familiar, doesn't it? If you've been around church very long, if you if you've listened to the words of Jesus in the gospels, you've heard Jesus say the same thing. He's quoted. That passage of Scripture in answering what the greatest commandment is in all of Scripture. And Jesus refers to this and says, You shall love the Lord your God, right? And then you should love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus goes back to this passage of Scripture and says, This is the greatest thing you could do with your life. So, as a parent, as a dad, as a man, this is my primary responsibility. In parenting my kids, it has very little to do with my kids and everything to do with my relationship with God. My primary responsibility is actually not to my kids. My primary responsibility is to God, my Father. And my primary responsibility, I would say it like this, is to lead my children by example. That they need to see in me that I love God even before I loved them. Does that make sense? So you and I, as parents are to lead by example. We're to show our kids who God is and what He's done by our allegiance and our affection. Now here's something I've learned in life as I've watched my own parenting and other people is that I cannot expect my children to value or believe anything that I'm not willing to value or believe myself. Right? Are you with me? Just shake your head like this. Up and down. Yeah. The word I want you to look, look at this verse again, if, if you can put that verse back up there. Look, it says, it. the word heart is mentioned in this verse twice. If you look back at verse 5 and 6, the word heart is mentioned two different times. So let me just tell you about this. Loving God, listen, loving God is not about just your outward behavior. It's not about just keeping the rules in front of your kids and trying to be perfect. That is not going to work. It's not going to happen. And listen, that's not what your kids need to see. Your kids need to see your heart that's surrendered and submitted to the God that you put first in your life. That your heart is bent toward God. This verse doesn't say live perfectly or keep all the rules. It says love God with all your heart. And let His Word be on your heart. And I've already said this, but let me say it again. As a dad, I have failed so many times. But you know what? This verse does not say I need to be perfect. Leading by example means admitting my failures and asking for God's forgiveness and showing that to my kids, letting my kids see that. So if you walk in here this morning and you say, I don't know if I'm good enough to lead my kids. I don't want them to turn out like me. Listen, we're all in that boat. We've all been there. Like, I hope my kids go love God so much more than, than I do. I hope they go so beyond me. But my job as a dad is, is, is not to be perfect. My job as a dad is to show them that God saves and changes imperfect people, right? That's my job. They need to see your heart. But don't forget this, that God has to capture your heart before he can capture the heart of your kids. Do you want, listen, do you want generous kids? Like, I want to I look at my kids and see generosity, and I want to see them give their lives away and put other people first. The question is, do I do that in front of them? respect and honor their spouse one day? Do your kids see you do that through your words and your actions? Do you want kids who spend time with God each day, talking to Him and learning from His Word, do your kids see you do that? Do you you want kids who grow up to be faithful and committed to their church and involved in their church? Do your kids see that from you? Young I went to my grandmother's house to spend the night, and I was really young. I don't know how old I was, but it was one of my first memories of going to my grandmother's house and she tucked me into bed that night and because it was a different place, you know, I waited for a few minutes for to leave the room and then I decided to get out of the bed and sneak over to her room and I got to her room and I kind of it was cracked. the door was cracked open. And I pushed open the door. The light was still on. And I saw my grandmother, who seemed really old to me at the time. She probably wasn't. But my grandmother was kneeling on her knees beside her bed with her hands folded by her bed. And I just stood there looking at her. And that image is still in my brain. That my grandmother didn't just pray with me when she tucked me into bed. She went and spent time with God on her own. And it just stuck with me that that is something. They see a person who loves God with all your heart. Look at verse 7. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7 says this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Now this is referring back to what the them is. It's referring back to all the words that God has commanded you. To the Word of God. To God's words to you. It says you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Verse 8 says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. Now this gets a little weird. Listen, you shall put them on your hand. We're all going to get tattoos. Are you guys awake? You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and those shall be as frontlets between your eyes. I don't know, like, if you research some of this, If you even look at Orthodox um, Judaism today, sometimes they'll wear this thing with a little box uh, on their forehead. Listen, I don't know exactly what this is, but somehow they would wear something that was called a frontlet between their eyes, and it would contain things that represent God, a mark of God, God's words. And, And it was so important to them that they would wear it, they would mark themselves, they would put it on their hands. They would put it on their heads and look at this. Verse nine says, "You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates." Like, that would be really strange. And came back, we rode around and I saw like scripture verses on this outside of your house. Like, like I don't know if that would fit in suburban America, right? But here's here's the deal. What is this saying? This is saying that you and I are responsible not just to lead our children by example and show them but we are to continually teach them what God says and who God is. Teach them. So there's a show part. You ever, you remember show and tell when you were growing up, show and tell at school? Well, that's all I'm saying is this is showing, the leading by example, and telling. You've got to tell them who God is and what God says and what God has done. So the what you tell them is tell them who God is. What does the Bible say about who God is? What has God done? What does God say? Those are the things that your kids need to hear from you. So when do you tell them that? Well, this passage says you tell them You tell them when you sit in your house. You tell them when you go out of your house and walk by the way. You tell them when you go to sleep at night. You tell them when you get up in the morning. Like You just tell them all the time. One of the things that we love in our house, and my wife is really good at this, is is teachable moments. It's just using moments all the time when you're making a meal, when you're when you're watching TV, when you're playing a game, when you're playing a game and you talk about honesty, right? Have you ever played a game with your kids and they are the most dishonest little devils? They will cheat just as fast as... Well, use that. I'm serious. You laugh because you know like they're cheaters. So that's just born in them. It's called sin. So here's the thing. So use that moment to teach them what God says about truth and about honesty and about integrity, right? Like teachable moments as you walk through your day with your kids. Talk with your kids about who God is and what God says and what God has done and what God is doing. Listen, if you're not spending time with God each day, listen, you're not going to talk about what God is. Talk about God with your kids as you walk through your day. That, does that make sense? When my oldest son started sixth grade, he's a sec, he's in his second year of college this year, when my oldest son started sixth grade, I, I started doing breakfast with him on Saturday mornings. We would get up really early, and we would go do breakfast together, because he was a big breakfast guy and a early riser. Now, my other kids are not early risers like that, but, We went to breakfast every Saturday and we did what you saw in the video earlier. We just would read a passage of scripture and pray together and just talk about who God is and what God's done and things he was learning and struggling with. That started a tradition in our house that we've kept with all four of our kids when they start sixth grade. I did it with my two boys, and Susan does it with our two girls. And it it became a time when they would open up with us about their doubts. It's like they were waiting all week. When you you have a bunch of kids, like they don't get enough individual attention, right? And then when you get FaceTime with them, all of a sudden, like they would just, even the quiet ones of my kids would just start talking about all kinds of things. It's amazing when you set that time aside. Here at Church at Cane Bay, we, we call that a huddle. like, And we want every adult to be in a huddle with another adult or two where you do that. But what if we did that with our kids each week? Gave them that same amount of attention and time where we could just talk about who God is, what God says, what God is doing. No, notice, let's go back to, for a minute to verse 8 and 9 where it says that about wear it on your hands, between your eyes, put it on your house. Listen. I know, I know that might sound strange to you, but I want you to think about that for just a second. How do you and I, how do we put God's Word on display in our lives? How do I mark myself and my house and my things as they belong to God, and, and God's Word is evident there, His presence and His power is evident? I can remember um, one morning when I was young, probably kindergarten or first grade, My dad had to take me to school one morning. It was normally my mom, but my dad um, took me that morning on his way to work. And as I got in his car, I remember seeing an index card taped over the radio in his car. And I'd been in his car before, and I'd never seen that. And I said, "Um, what is that? And there was a scripture verse written on that index card. And my dad said, "Um, son, that is a verse I'm trying to memorize This week, Um, God just put it on my heart, and I need to remember that verse. And so I normally, when I get my car on the way to work, I turn on the radio and listen to the news or talk radio or whatever. And I decided that I wanted to, um, every time I reached for the radio, I wanted to remember what God said about that. Now, I still remember that. That was a long time ago, and I remember that to this day. That told me something very important about my dad. That his life and his car was marked by the word of God. My mom used to cross-stitch. Raise your hand if you even know what cross-stitch is. Right, I hear there's like a resurgence of it these days. That's kind of weird. But anyway, um, it was she used to cross-stitch. And if you'd gone in my house 30 years ago, you'd have seen little cross-stitch things all over the place. And in our bathroom, there was even one. I know this is weird, but it just said like something like, I know I'm somebody because God don't make no junk. God is obviously more grammatically correct than that, but but I can remember Scripture verses and promises and truths that my mom put throughout the house. And, and you know what? You know what it said to me? is that my mom doesn't just like to cross stitch. My mom believes that those words are true, and she hung them in my bedroom and in the hallway and in the, in the bathroom and everywhere because my mom believes this. This is what she lives by. But how do you intentionally put God's Word, God's power, God's presence on display for your kids to see? Now skip skip down to verse 20 and look at this. So we're skipping down a little bit in chapter 6 to verse 20. It says this. Look at this. It says, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, and then after that it, it goes on to say, "We were we were Pharaoh's slaves. We were slaves in Egypt." It, just tell them the story of what God did. You hear me? Listen. Someday your kids are going to look you in the eyes, and it may be sixth grade, it may be third grade, it may be twelfth grade. It may there will be a time when your kids are going to look at you, and they're going to wonder, do I believe what mom and dad believe? Why should I? There is going to be a time when your kids ask why, and in that moment, in that moment, you have to tell them the story of what God did in you. Why do you believe this? Why did it change your life? About this. He said his son had gotten to an age where he noticed that his parents, every month, wrote a very large check to the church. Now, we don't write checks anymore, I realize that, but every month, this, this boy had gotten old enough to notice they write this big check and then they put it in the offering basket or the offering plate at church. And he knew, he had grown up in church, so he knew about giving and tithing, but he had never seen the amount of the check before. You with me? And he saw it, and he talked. He looked at his dad and he said, Dad, do you know what you could do with that amount of money? He goes, Dad, dad can you imagine like what you could do with that instead of just throwing it away? Now that's what he said, right? His dad looked at him and said, Son, first instead of God. There was a time when I was a different man than what you see right now. There was a time when I could, was convinced that I should keep all of that money for me, that it was mine. But son, God changed my heart. given me a new life. He forgives me and He saved me and for the rest of my life I will write that check. And when I write that check, son, it reminds me of who I belong to and who He is and what He says and what He's done. And everything I have will always belong to Him. In Genesis, very beginning of the Bible, there's a section of Scripture called the genealogies. Now, you may have read the genealogies before, and they might have seemed rather boring to you. It says something like, and this man had this many children and lived this many years, and then he died. And then this man had these children, and he lived this many years, and then he died. And sometimes when I've read those parts of Scripture, I go, what is the point of all this? Right? Have you ever thought that? But there's one part in Genesis chapter 5, verse 21, when it says something different about one of these men. Like it goes on and on for generations, talking about this guy, had this kid, these kids lived this many years, and then he died. Over and over and over. And then it gets to verse 21 of chapter 5, and it says this. Look at this. It says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Verse 22. And this is what it says that's different than the rest of the ones before it. In verse 22 it says, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And then it says it again. Enoch." walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, now listen Listen to me just a second. None of the other guys before or after this does it say that. Was Enoch the only guy who walked with God? I don't know. But I read this passage of Scripture, and I ask myself, what do I want said about me When I'm gone, do I want said about me just that I had this many kids, I bought this house, I drove this car, I had this job, and then I died? Or do I want said about me, this is a man who walked with God? Do I want my kids, when they have to describe me when I'm long gone, to say, let me tell you one thing about my dad. My dad walked with God. You know, it's interesting enough that, that it says that about, but do you know, he, he was the, it says he was the father of Methuselah, right? It's interesting to note that Methuselah is the person who lived the longest period of time in all of Bible history that we know. Methuselah lived over 900 years. Crazy, I know. His dad walked with God. Ago, I was watching a videotape. Yes, a videotape, so this must have been years ago. Um, I was watching a videotape that was recorded when Wilson, my oldest, was three years old. We lived in Charlotte, North Carolina at the time, and we were in the backyard playing in the snow. It, it snows there. Um, actually, this winter it snowed here, didn't it? Um, but interestingly enough, I was watching the videotape, and we, it looks like we had like 10 or 11 inches of snow. It was a lot of snow, even for Charlotte. And we were playing in the backyard. And Wilson was about three years old at the time. And in the video, I'm not sure what I was doing, but I was walking around the backyard. And Wilson was planted like a tree in snow up to his waist and could not move. Like, he just couldn't. You could see him just twisting like this, and he would dig himself out of it. And he couldn't step because he would sink every time he stepped. And then all of a sudden in the video, you notice something, that he discovers my foot hole, the holes where my feet were. He discovers them, and he puts his foot down in the hole where I, where my foot was, because my foot was bigger than his, he could get it down in there, and then all of a sudden he could walk by putting his feet where my feet had walked. And all of a sudden, I'm watching that video. And Wilson, when I watched the video, Wilson was probably about 10 or 11 years old and i turned around and looked at my 10 or 11 year old and i thought to myself someone's following me someone is walking where i walk you know there's this interesting passage of scripture in the new testament where paul turns to the people that are with him the guys that are with him and says listen listen you, you you've had countless guides in Christ, countless people have told you what God says and who Christ is. This, though, look, it says, "For those who have had countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel." And look at verse 16. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Another translation says it this way: Follow me as I follow Jesus. And I've read that before listen to that words, and I thought, well, God, that's a little bit prideful, it seems. Maybe that's a little bold to say, hey, you follow me as I follow Jesus. Like, I've read that before and thought that, but I watched that video that day of my little boy, and I thought, can I look at my 11-year-old son and say, hey, bud, you can follow me as I follow Jesus. Sometimes I'll step in the wrong place, and I need you to know that, but you can Walk and talk each day with God and walk and talk each day with my kids so that as they grow, they can... to love you with all our hearts. God, capture my heart first for you. Help me not put my kids above you, God. Help me love you first. scary but i think it's meant to be.